Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 102. Today's Thursday, June 1st. May is in the books, and we are talking about how we might make a deal. This is an episode that we do every year focused on trades, getting into kind of the philosophy of it, the right mindset, mentality when you're working with other managers in your league. And of course, as always, we will get into a lot of names and assess some trade targets. Very excited. As always, you guys can follow us on Twitter at WinsAbovePod. I am at Van underscore verified, and Steve is joining me as always at Stav8818. Uh, Steve, always a fun show. I know this time of year, you and I are even texting back and forth for, you know, some gut checks on our own trades and, and our own leagues. Uh, but always, always a good time, man. And uh, yeah, May's in the books. I feel like we're both ready to see the end of this month uh, for for our respective leagues. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's fun. I think there's. I saw a few other podcasts uh, come out with trade season episodes, but that that's sort of what it is. This is what the third year of of Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal three. I think this is going to be. Um, you definitely have the itch. Like it's your standings are sort of set. The the contenders and pretenders are are are, are there. And if you are in the bottom of your standings. You know, you need to start considering to, you know, trade for you know more pieces than one to help kind of cover the categories that you need help in. Um, if you're uh, high up in the standings, you need to secure the one or two categories that you're deficient in. So it, it's that time of year. It's fun. I think trading is the best part of fantasy. Um, it is it is my favorite aspect, at least. Um so it's exciting. I think it's you know that's just how you forge relationships with members in your league. How leagues grow stronger, and I think a healthy league has a lot of trades. And I think now is the time to sort of do it. A, a month ago, it's still a little bit too early, right? I think people are still waiting uh, for the big name stars who got off the slow Aprils to sort of turn around on their own, and that essentially kind of covers for a trade. But then. You know, once the calendar turns June, it's like, all right, maybe this we need to fully adjust our expectations at least for the year because you know two months in the books of subpar performance is going to affect the overall line a lot more than just one. So um, it, it's fun. I know there's certain leagues like Dynasty and stuff that there's kind of trades that just go on all the time, but in, yep. in redraft, I think this is the this is the prime time. Yeah, it really is. Like you said, it's, uh, you know, kind of the early waiting period is just about over. And any player who has come around, it's like they're 
their trade value is is constantly on the move. I think that's one thing that's kind of tricky with almost any trade is by the time you kind of start the talks, especially with hitters, you know, you're getting real-time updates every single day that can kind of, you know, move the needle a little bit on on a player's value. Uh, and with pitchers, it's the same thing. It's like when you're one day away from the next start for a guy, you're like wanting to pull the trade or, or wait on it. But I think what's what's cool about it is, again, at this point in the year, most of those like pop-up free agents that are going to be league changers, for the most part, have have come and gone. And yeah, there's mm-hmm. still some exceptions out there. There's, you know, a Matt McClain or, you know, insert whatever pitcher is kind of coming up and, and actually breaking out. But we've already seen, right, like the Millers and we saw that Fott didn't work out and we saw that you know the like the list goes on and on of all the young studs with the with the guardian guys all that so now it's it's almost getting to the second window where yeah you're you're just trying to patch up your roster a little bit and i think that kind of gets into more or less the advice side of it which is how we do this show every year we like to start with kind of the the analysis or the advice on how to make a trade and some effective tips best practices uh, Steve, I know you do a lot of them. It's something that I feel like I had the wrong mindset maybe five years ago, but now in a, a couple leagues where trades aren't that prevalent, I feel like I usually make a couple deals every single year. So um, I think we come from a place of being able to give advice here, but it is something that you do have to kind of recalibrate from how you typically view trades, which is oh, this was a successful trade because I fleeced this guy or I won this trade big time and and you take your victory lap. But I go back to like the quote from Rounders, you can shear a sheep many times, but you can skin it only once. And like, you're not really, Uh you shouldn't really be going into this with the intention of, you know, completely uh, pulling a quick one on another manager. I mean, that's not long-term sustainable. It's not a good way to do business. So it's much more kind of on the former side of like, let's do something that's helpful, that's productive for both of us. But I know that you've given that talk in the past. So talk to me about, uh, you know, just things that people should be thinking of more often when it comes to making a deal. So I want to focus on your first point of that there about how, you know, you sort of have to adopt and 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 change your thinking and it's sort of always evolving um when it comes to you know anything but um trading in fantasy baseball is what we're talking about now um but it it brings it reminds me that when we did the show last year and i gave my little rant and, and preamble about you know not going into try and win a trade or um rip someone off and i think uh, it's more towards the line of not going in with like low ball offers and 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 trying to insult someone or or send out a trade that someone just might press accept on for whatever reason that is going to be a rip off because like you said uh, if that happens that person is going to trade with you but in the discord last year when we did this episode um Longtime PL uh, Plus user Little Piranha, shout out Little Piranha. He's had some questions on the show. Uh, is oh, a yeah. great listener, but 
gave some feedback and was like, actually, I, I do want to go in and, and win a trade. And it gave great reasoning as to why. Like, this is a game and you want to improve and you want to have your team be better after a trade. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, like, that that is true. Like, yes, you should be trying to improve your trade. You should be trying, your team, you should be trying to get better. You should be trying to win a trade. But I think it's a balance of trying to win a trade, but also keeping that relationship and and being able to trade with that person again and also identifying a person's needs on the other team because if not, more likely than not, that person is not going to trade with you. If they're, if you're offering trades that don't help the other team at all, then no trades are going to get done. And if a trade does get, get done, you're probably not going to trade with that person again. So I think it's a great point, and I think it's sort of something that brought me a little bit more towards the middle on that whole philosophy. But, you know, like you said, it's it's just you kind of have to change and, and adapt to to get better every time that you do a trade or, or, or whatever yeah. it is you're doing in this game. So it's, it's a good, ba- it's good balance. And I, I try to remember it um, and, and think that you have to balance not offending someone and not ripping someone off while also, yeah, yeah. You want to get better. You want to win a trade. Like, that's how you're going to win leagues. If you have a trade that ends up looking a lot better. Yeah. I mean, then when you do it, to be honest, none of us, when we make a trade, yeah, there's there's certain occasions where people say like, oh, I definitely take this side of the trade. And, and I get that. But for the most part, th- who will win the trade to some extent is up in the air. Whether injuries, performance, we still see a ton of guys who, you know, their underlying metrics look amazing and they never it never comes through. Like things like that where I think – I guess what I would say to Little Piranha or just that general school of thinking is that you might do one trade or two trades like that, but if you go about it in a different way where you feel like you're winning the trade because you're actually improving your side of what you need and you're even giving the other manager the opportunity to improve, like, I don't know if you agree with this, Steve, but in my league, there, my home league, there are like trade... I don't know if you want to call them partnerships, but there's usual suspects that do business with each other more often than, than others. And there's also guys who have reputations of like, oh, here comes another classic garbage offer he sent me and everyone takes screenshots. And like more often than not, those trades, like you can only do one or two of them before the next time you go around, they're just not going to want to make a deal with you. And I think what I've found to be pretty successful is, is one, not just lobbing a trade over, like, you know, whether it's a chat function or if you know your league managers, I'll shoot a text out and just be pretty transparent about what I'm looking for, you know, complimenting the guys who I'm interested in or even being transparent and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a, a buy low. Like the one right now that that's was in talks was like a, a Saya Suzuki. And it was a text it said hey i i like his his game he would improve my offense i I don't get a lot of walks this would be great but i'm looking to buy low and and being transparent on that and then even saying like it looks like your team could use some pitching i have a surplus of pitching right now do you want to think it over or let me know who you would be interested in and i think just by it's kind of that soft sell of like not just you know, putting them on the spot right there or saying like, oh, trade me Suzuki or whoever it is, 
because I feel like a lot of people come in hot like that. I think it's even just putting irons in the fire. And then before you know it, a week later, I got three trade offers from this manager for Saya Suzuki that he sent me. And I think that's, those are some things is like the trades I've, I've done and, and gone through. Like even earlier this year, I dealt Graham Ashcraft. I won that trade because Ashcraft, it was a sell high. I let the manager know that, you know, the strikeouts weren't there like we thought they might be. However, there's a glimmer of hope because he's on, you know, Saris's, you know, stuff plus top five in the league. So this could really pan out. And, you know, just, I guess, being honest about what you see in players and not trying to, you know, view it as like a poker game. I personally have found to be much more productive in actually getting deals across the line. So I know that's a rant. I know everyone wants to win a trade. Yes. But I, I'm starting to find that treating this like an actual, you know, business transaction where you want to, you know, look out for them. You don't want to be, you know, a, a jerk either by coming in hot or by doing a victory lap or laughing when it doesn't work their way. Like that's what I've found to be, take me from, you know, I hope I do a trade this year to, yeah, I'm doing a couple trades with each of my leagues, you know, every single season. So long rant, but I mean, I, I think those are just some like values that we've talked about on the show and that I've found to be extremely productive. And then from there, like it's baseball, like you're going to find out or not, but the bottom line is it, it's a good process when it starts with, trying to help both teams improve two things from that uh, great great i know it was long but it was it was it was very insightful and a great great points were brought up but two things from that one regarding you know who uh, lopsided trades and you know you're gonna put out questions and we see it all the time in the discord um especially now that we have a little bot function that gives um uh a poll for you know you ask a question and you list your players and which side do you want the little bot spits out side a or side b and you know there's plenty of times where it's lopsided and it's side a eight votes to side b just the one vote but if you look back throughout the year you know you'd probably be surprised about how many of those are wrong so as obvious as some trades may be it's not always as obvious at the end of the year sure yeah most of the time they'll be right but you know, you never know what could happen in terms of results there. So, um, and two, as far as, you know, how to approach negotiations and trade talk, I think that is really important because I think it was Mike Curlin um, last week put out a, a Twitter poll about, you know, uh, do you, when I send a trade offer, do you like a, an accompanying text um, or an explanation, essentially? And I forget who went back, but they were like, yeah, I don't need any explanation. It makes you makes me you you think that I, I I look dumb. Like send a trade offer if I like it, I'll counter it or accept it. Um, I don't think it's that cut dry, cut and dry. But there's definitely um, a way to approach it without being insulting and just saying, "Hey, this is what I see. This is where I think I could use some help, and this is where I think you can use some help." I think that is totally fine as long as you're not like. You know, insulting their their intelligence or their players, or, or you even know, trying to convince thing. them. Uh, you know what I mean? Exactly. I, I've had exactly. bad results from that too. Of like, come on, this guy's amazing. And it's like, well, then why are you trying to deal him? You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. That happens in in my home league a ton. It's like, why are you going to trash? It's like you're trashing this player. Then why are you trying to trade for him? Like, what are you what, what are you saying about you know, uh, like 
you know, you're, you're you're trying to buy low on Trey Turner, and you're saying that his OPS is you know 600, and he has had had a, a good game since he flipped, played you know Triple uh, A teams from you know uh, the British Virgin Islands, right, and the World Baseball Classic. So, um, why are you trying to insult him and then trade low for him? Like, well, what's the deal? Like, you know, we're not dumb. Like, his value is low right now. Like, this is why you're trying to trade for him. Um, so yeah, I think it's fine to approach it like you said, like a business transaction. Um, or and being honest, I think is also super important. So yeah, it's just it's just something to keep in mind that you know if you do that, and and even if your your intentions aren't that, um, it could rub certain managers the wrong way. And and like and people are gonna have different opinions on that all the time. So know your league mates, know your league, know yeah. what yeah. you can get away with or not get away with, but how you can approach negotiations with different uh, players in your league. Well, and e- even what you said at the very beginning, Steve, of the basically like the league standings and the makeup of what you need to do right now. And you talk through like, you know, you might be looking for the one piece if you're up top or you might be willing to wait for if it's like, you know, whatever, Julio Arias or Tristan McKenzie. I know he's coming back, so people have waited long enough. But I, I feel like between – a team makeup, like the actual build of your team and what categories you need, if it's Roto or even in weekly head-to-head, you tend to know what categories you struggle with. There's team makeup on one side and then there's league standings on the other side and, and like what you're looking for. Those two things, I think you can be honest and not BS somebody but still find common ground. And if they're not, if they're not interested, that's where, you know, I wouldn't get hung up on the actual player name that you're going after. Like, yeah, there's usually a trade target that you'd like to explore. But if somebody says, no, I'm not interested, I like Zach Wheeler, or there's no way I'm dealing Vinny Pasquantino, you move on. And I, I think if you do find someone who's willing to have that talk and start out with a, okay, your team's in this position, and this is your you know statistical need or positional need, and I'm in a completely different position, that's where... Again, I just think there's some such an easier path forward to basically saying like, you know, this could improve us both. And you've talked about it in the past as well of like, yes, you want to win the trade, but you also probably need to be be mentally prepared with the the cold fact that 90 percent of the time, if if it's a good trade and a trade that you're going to actually make happen, you're going to have to part ways with someone that you actually like. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you're not just going to get value, get a Trey Turner for your pitcher who's gotten blown up his last three starts, even though he's looked good. Like, you know, everyone has that recency bias. Everyone wants a player who looks promising. And yeah, you might need to be willing to part ways with the guy who just had 11 strikeouts. It's just a matter of if you believe in it long term. So I don't know. Those are things that I feel like we've talked about in the past that all seem like really good kind of mental building blocks before you get into this, like, let's actually make a deal that gets accomplished. Uh, Not sure if you got anything to add on that, but I I found that helpful last year and it's been it's been useful throughout this year, too. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think uh, we we nailed it again. (laughs) Well, let's get to uh, some some of the names here because what's unique is that there's a handful of guys, especially pitchers, who probably are very, very good uh, trade targets because 
of, of some of the struggles they're facing. So we're going to go hitters, and then we're going to go pitchers. But first, we're going to take our first ad break, and we'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, so Steve, we uh, talked about Trey Turner a couple times, so we might as well start with probably the most disappointing uh, pick from the first round this year. Turner, for maybe the second season in a row, seems to be pressing a little bit, hitting 243 with the Phillies, five homers, seven steals. I guess it just, you know, almost exactly a third of the way through the season. It's a little bit easier to prorate some of this stuff and say this is 15 homer, 21 steal pace, which isn't terrible, but going into the season we thought he was going to light the world on fire. And uh, just the 671 OPS, it's even looked very rough the past couple of weeks, just hitting 184. So I believe that the Trey Turner manager, although it wouldn't be for free, uh, might be open to the idea of moving Turner. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the player? If you think this is a buy low, and uh, you know maybe we can have some fun with some potential trade targets or, or who we would deal as well. As a Trey Turner manager, uh, and as someone that passed on Ronald Acuna for him, yes, I'm very frustrated and therefore open to moving Trey Turner. It has been a a very rough two months rostering him. That being said, right, his pace is 15 homers, 21 steals in a third of the season. So if he has slightly better power and speed stats the rest of the way you're looking at the 20 and 30 that you expected right and that's just the 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 you know the homer and stolen base category everything else under the hood is concerning yes the the chase rate is up all of the the contact skills are are down the max exit velocity the xba um, the average exit velocity, the hard hit percentage, everything that that Turner was really good at, um, you know, the strikeout rate is up like, you know, eight points higher than it's ever been in his career. Um, the walk rate's down, and that's never really great to begin with. Um, and there really isn't much room for hope under the hood. Just looking at it, like. You know, I ran today as a, as we were as I was prepping for this, like the rolling charts on fan graphs and like put together the chase rate and, and hard hit rate and K percentage and like there's just slight improvements over the last, you know fifty at bats where you do like a five game rolling average on those on those rolling charts. That said, 
you know, um, around this time last year was when Marcus Simeon started to turn around after that big contract, like for no reason, like there was nothing that was done that, that led to that, that showed signs of when it was going to happen. It just sort of happens for these guys. They stop pressing and, and they go from there. The issue is that the Phillies are just massively underperforming and, and horrible as a team yep. as well. So, you know, the fact that that might be adding on to, you know, I signed this big deal, we're underperforming, like I'm a big reason why this team thought we were going to have World Series aspirations after getting there last year. You know, maybe that makes it a bit harder. Um, but, you know, it... it there's just as a trade toner manager, there's been there was a bunch of hard hit balls tonight. He flew out to the warning track, I think, twice tonight. Um, you know, not nothing to show for it, but you know, the there may be little things to take away from that. That he's he's hitting the ball hard, he's had a homer and two doubles in the last five games. So there's the slightest of slightest silver linings there, but you're kind of just betting on the fact like. This guy is just going to stop pressing, and he is going to produce first-round value for two out of the three quarters of the season. Um, and it could happen any day now because I think that's probably the wise way to approach it. You know, I don't know if Trey Turner is going to hit 300 this year, but you know, uh, he could have a 270, uh, 20, 30 season, which would be more than serviceable even though you know that's not going to be fighting for the first overall pick next year uh those days might be done right yeah the i mean the speed's still there it's a little surprising because he hasn't gotten caught on the base paths yet that he hasn't yeah really and everyone else in. is stealing yeah. yeah yeah like like the rabbits um but it is a little bit i think you know it, it does look frosty on like the savant page but he's always kind of been a guy that you know he's never had like a super high barrel rate uh his hard hit numbers you know like last year were 60th percentile and that was still a season where you know obviously i mean he just had the 21 homers but still it was enough for for a 298 average as well uh yeah i mean i think it obviously doesn't look great what's a little interesting is that the launch angle has gone up quite a bit i know scott chu wrote up that the most alarming thing from his viewpoint was the strikeout rate and the rolling charts where now Turner's got a 25% strikeout rate. Um, You know, that's as highest as it's been since 2015 when he came up every other year, it's been sub 20. Uh, So that's a little bit concerning, but I think we've, you know, I know it's that narrative soft analysis, but we've seen that enough with guys with new ball clubs and he was even chasing more with the Dodgers. So it might have rolled over there as well. Uh, but, yeah, I just think that the manager might be so open to it. And like you said, Steve, like if he does finish with a final line of like 260, 270, that pretty much means he's going to be hitting like 290 the rest of the way. And I don't think that would shock any of us. Um, you know, you would have to imagine as it heats up, there's going to be a little bit more power there than a 15 homer pace. And yeah, on like the hitter list right now on Scott Chu's hitter list, he's 14th overall. So, you know, guys behind yeah, him. Just like, goes to show you, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, there's a Lindor behind him. There's, uh, yeah. you know, Simeon. But I don't even think it would take that from, from a manager. Like, I think, you know, 
whether or not we'd recommend it, a, a guy who's coming back and hot like a Corey Seager, I bet that could get it done, uh, maybe mm-hmm. with a throw-in piece. But, like, the Turner manager is pretty frustrated. If you're in a head-to-head league, yeah. you're pretty much halfway through the season before the playoffs start. Uh, and that can be daunting. And that, that, I mean, because they invested in Turner, they're probably not, you know, sitting in a playoff position. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one where you gotta got to – Got a soul search and just do that. Do I trust the bas- back of the baseball card? And I think for everything we've said about Turner in the recent years, I'm I'm willing to kind of give him that blind vote of confidence that, like you said, it might not be, you know, where he's a top five pick next year. But I think that for what you could make the deal on, you'd be happy with the output ultimately. I, I'm glad you brought up Scott Chu because he's so good at like keeping everything in perspective like he does that hitter list every week and you know there there's points where it's like you know why didn't chris from morrell jump up to a top 50 hitter like he's the best hitter in baseball for this week it's like well you know the last week now after that hot streak he's has like one hit and struck out 60 percent of the time so that's why scott's so good at keeping things in perspective and it's like yes trey turner has been horrible he is ranked as one of the worst players in the league and for the draft value, you know, he is probably the worst. Yeah. Yeah. But he's still 14th on the list because he's Trey Turner. No, I like, love it. We'll yes, give, the we'll give is not there. It's yeah. Scott Chu, we're keeping the he's list. He's so up. good at that. He's we're, so good. We're yeah, keeping yeah. the list up the rest of the show. And the guy two, two spots ahead of Trey Turner is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is not quite struggling as much as Trey Turner. He is hitting 284 on the season. He has eight homers, so again, kind of the lazy math on pace for like 24, way less than you'd want. That's reflected in the 813 OPS. But where the window is a little bit more here for Vlad is less on the season line. The fact that in the past month, he's just got a 722 OPS and only three of those eight home runs. So, you know, Vlad is not going to be a cheap acquisition, but I do think this is another situation where it's like, is it going to turn around because you you know you were investing right at like the one two turn, and you're probably a little frustrated if you if you drafted Vlad with what you've gotten so far. Um, under the hood, Steve, what are you seeing with Vlad? I know we both love the player. It seems like the whole industry does, but this isn't the first time that he's kind of had a power shortage. And I don't know if we should readjust expectations or if we think that there's going to be a, a big breakout coming here. Yeah, it it comes down to the ground ball rate with Vlad and it's actually his best ground ball rate of his career. Um, mm. The only thing that's like kind of worrying is the fact that the chase rate is, is a little bit high. Um, it's only 32nd percentile uh, back in 2021 when he had, was he the, I think he was the MVP that year. Um, it was 69th percentile. Um, but other than that, I think this is an absolute, like, it's not like he's striking out. It's still an 80th percentile strikeout rate he's only striking out 16.8 percent of the time the walks are down a little bit um and four percent from that amazing amazing year but yeah i i think this is a clear clear buy low like the number one thing you worry about with vlad is ground balls and he's doing a lot better job of that it's just 43 percent where last year was 52 percent and his monster 2021 it was 46 percent so um you know, all of the hard hit numbers are in line with what you expect Vlad to do. Um, so uh, I, I think that this is 
just a matter of time until Vlad, you know, has a week where he has five home runs and the lot, you know, the OPS climbs to closer to 900 um, that, that you would expect. So um, I think this is a really, really uh, good opportunity um, to buy low on, on Vlad. Like all of the X numbers, I know that there's, you know, um, some flaws in that and the fact that, you know, it hasn't adjusted to the, the current run environment, but uh, he he's underperforming all of those. Like everything else looks like Vlad. It's the best hard hit rate of his career. Um, the barrel percentage is, you know, 9.7 um, in 2020 when it was 10.7%. So uh, yeah, 22 barrels and only eight homers. Like this guy is just getting pretty unlucky right now. And I think that this is a clear opportunity and one of my favorite by lows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's third in the league in hard contact uh, on, on his pitchless page. Uh, 22nd in that ideal plate appearance, which kind of comes in with that, uh, you know, the the barrels, the solid hits, flares, burners. It, and yeah, like you said, the expected stats. I mean, he's, you know, on sorting between X slug and slug and all that stuff. And like you said, Steve, there's some caveats there, but he's like top 25 on some of those lists. Uh, the XBA at like 294. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that this is a really good one. And it does feel like the, the time is now for this. And to kind of go back to the, the rant that started the show, for example, if I were to, to reach out to the Vlad manager on a situation like this, this is one where I would say like, hey, you know, I, I know Vlad's been down. It looks like you're, you know, you've got a surplus of power or whatever it is. You know, I'm willing to give you some good pieces as a, a buy low for Vlad. And then you're at least acknowledging that, you know, you if he does explode, you know, that's been above board from day one. And, and to me, that stuff does make a difference that it's like you feel like you're being, you know, straight up with them and not saying like, oh, Vlad sucks this year. You should you should deal him over me. But Anyway, that's that's uh, another good one, and yeah, on on Scott's list there, Vlad's still the twelfth hitter on the list. So uh, I know a guy like Matt Olson is having a great year. He's another guy that we like, but I think rest of season uh, in a vacuum, yeah, I'm taking Vlad, and Olson is a guy who in the past month uh, has an 890 OPS, uh, and and he's sitting at 17 homers on the year. So that that's an example, but that that's another thing that we didn't talk about is those challenge trades where it's like same position, same statistical output. And it's just like a head to head. Who do you like more? Uh, I think what we typically recommend is trying to balance it a bit more with, you know, a pitcher for a hitter or, you know, a speedster for a power hitter, things like that. But uh, yeah, Vlad's another good one. I think we, we uh, like both of these as targets, but of the two, it seems like Vlad, we'd feel more confidence in, right, Steve? Yeah, the, the Vlad, like there's some numbers and the, the the Statcast data to back it up. Turner, it's more trust your gut. Yep. Well, another one uh, drafted in most of the time around the second round, early second round, is Raphael Devers. And Devers on this list is uh, 15th, right behind Trey Turner on the hitter list. Uh, but Devers also struggling a little bit, just hitting 242 on the batting average. He does have 13 homers uh, and a 783 OPS. But similar to Vlad, just three homers in the past month. Uh, Devers, I know third is 
a position that most teams uh, were short on coming into the year. There's been a couple that have popped up, but for the most part, uh, Devers is a guy that kind of follows the same story of of the Red Sox in general, right? He was red hot when they were red hot, and he's kind of cooled off in the past month in May. Just, uh, but overall, what are you seeing with Devers, Steve, uh, under the hood? Everything looks like prototypical Rafael Devers that would tell me it's a buy low. But the one thing that concerns me is that I think he sat out two games with an injury on Friday and Saturday. Um, And last year, you know, he was having that amazing, amazing first half, had that hamstring injury around the All-Star break, had a minimal, minimal, uh, minimal IL stint, came back and just clearly wasn't the player that he was in the first half and you could see it whenever he was like running like he just did not look healthy i remember you talking i'm about not that. saying that yeah. that's the case right now um again but it is concerning that he probably is a bit banged up and it caused him to miss two games over the weekend um i wouldn't be surprised if that's correlated with his um downswing in production like this is a guy that you know he plays basically every game like he played 121 games in 2018 that was like his lowest total i mean yeah he played 57 games in 2020 but that was the 60 game season so he does not miss games um he played 141 last year so he missed you know the the 20 game the 15 games or so that he spent on the il and then a few here and there where he sat out so He's basically essentially had, what, like one or two IL stints in his career. Um, so he plays through through injuries. And, then, you know, maybe as he's getting older, it's it's harder to to keep up that production. I mean, it's funny to say that he's, he's still only just 26, but I guess that is a bit of a difference in doing that when you're a 23-year-old. Again, and this is all, you know, me taking a fishing trip, uh, speculating about this injury, but I'm kind of just putting two and two together. Um but other than that, like, I absolutely think that this is another great buy low. Like, he has a two forty six BABIP right now. Um, his he's that's just not something that he is going to carry. It's been three fifteen for his career. So, um, as long as Rafael Devers is healthy, like, yeah, I, I'm I'm basically all in. Like, the walks are a little bit down, but you know, nothing too too concerning. And you know, Devers has never been the guy that has walked you know a, a ton in the past either so um all of those the 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 stack ass data tells me to buy low i'm just hopeful that it's not another injury yeah and i mean the red sox in general this year have a better lineup context than they did last year so he's a guy who usually gets 100 rbis in his sleep and yeah so far it's it's looking the same. I, I didn't mention that when I was rattling off his stats, but 45 RBIs on the season is mm-hmm. huge, just a third of the way through. Uh, so, yeah, I think if if the uh, XBA can creep back or if the batting average can creep up to where his XBA is, is at like a 274, you're going to be super happy with what you get from, from Devers. So I know we're running a little bit long on the hitters. Uh, Want to keep rolling the last one. A bit of a deeper fall, Steve, but we were just talking to him are talking about him on the uh, 100th episode as one of our go-to guys. And I got to bring up uh, Stephen Kwan because 
he is another one who had kind of a rough May. You're obviously banking on, if any category, batting average with Quan, and he had just a 242 average in May. He is 262 on the season. Uh, so pretty simple math there. Before the month of May, he was probably batting around 285. Just the one homer, which is a little bit under what we were hoping for. I think we were kind of squinting and saying, oh, he could be a, a 10 homer guy. The nine steals looks great on the surface, but seven of those came in April and then just two in this past month, which has been a little bumpy. Uh, do you think that this is just kind of a blip because we love Quan? I mean, I know he's new to the scene, but for us, it seems like with this solid of a hit tool, it almost feels like we know exactly who he is and it's not a 262 hitter. So just wondering if you feel like Quan is a buy low for, for some of our listeners who might need a little batting average boost here. I think so. If you remember last year, this was around the time where Quan was basically a, a drop and his roster percentage was probably the lowest after that extremely hot start in, in April that he had. Right. Him and Owen uh, Miller. Yeah. Setting the world yeah, on fire. Exactly. Exactly. And then it just came on and, you know, he stole a bunch of bases, even hit a few more homers in the second half and, Ended up hitting what close to you know the the three hundred that he hit last year. Um, sure, there might be some regression, but I still think that you know he'll be a lot closer to his two eighty seven xba at the end of the year than the uh, you know two fifty seven that he's running right now. So um, with that comes more stolen base opportunities. I know he's not a power guy, but it does get really warm in Cleveland and becomes much more of a hitter friendly park. Um, so. You know, maybe that should should help his offense a little bit, at least in, in some of the power production. Um, but yeah, I think that this is another clear like buy low, and you're not you're not buying Stephen Kwan for power anyway. You're buying him for some batting average, and there should be some regression. Uh, just looking at uh, you know the way that Stephen Kwan has performed so far. Yeah, it's it's impressive off memory, Steve, because last year the the splits now that I got them pulled up, April he hit 354, May he hit 173. And then June yeah. June was, he, three, he was 341. Yeah, 341 yeah. in June, 314 in July, 296 in August, 325 in September. So yeah, he very he just much doesn't like May. He does, he's not he a May guy like and that's May. fine, you know. Yeah. You can take a month yeah. off and be a uh, superstar on batting average the rest of the year. So that's Quan. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff looks very Stephen Quan uh, beyond that in terms of that he's still striking out just 11% of the time, walking more than he strikes out. Uh, you know, so that this is a guy that should round out to be more of a, a 285, 290 hitter by the end of the year as opposed to uh, the 258 for Quan. So that rounds out our hitters we were highlighting this week and after this ad break we will get to the pitchers all right so steve this is a topical one because estevao in our uh, our dynasty league who is kind of the the king of making trades in that league you get about 20 offers yeah, a this week is, we, this is a this is a shame that he did not come on this episode we'll have to do another trade episode with him just because well, in a way he did come on his this trade offer by... per minute by yeah. peppering our inbox on Discord, he has yeah. come into yeah. to the but he's asked us yeah. about Sandy, and it's Dynasty League, so it's a little bit different. But I think it's reflective of most managers who have Sandy Alcantara. Uh, Sixty three innings, fifty seven strikeouts. It's really been the ratios that have been the killer with a four eighty six ERA, a one twenty two WHIP, 
Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. He threw against the Padres, gave up four earned in six and a third and just three strikeouts. So begs the question. I know we talked about him a time or two, Steve, but as the, as we get deeper into the season for redraft especially, it's a lot harder to pay 90 cents on the dollar for Sandy because the K's aren't there to go with it. So mm-hmm. it just kind of mm-hmm. makes you wonder, like, what what pitcher this actually is and is it really – you know, am I gaining anything from from dealing, uh, you know, a Joe Ryan for Sandy? I, I, I don't think today I would do that trade uh, for redraft. But, you know, when you go to the list, he's still up there. I can pull it up. But in the meantime, talk to me about Sandy, Steve. Are, are, are you starting to feel differently or do you still think this is a, a great buy low opportunity? I still think this is a good buy low. I wouldn't trade, you know, a guy who I think is a number one, but I would trade someone who I think is a number two and a three and, and, and a hitter or a closer or whatever else to close the gap for him. Because I think there is reason for hope. Um, like there's nothing in the numbers other than the, than the, the luck numbers here that go to show that he, he deserves a, a 486 ERA uh, rather than, you know, a mid three zero, which I think is kind of what he is. I think last year is definitely the peak with that two twenty eight ERA, um, but I don't think that you know an increase in swing strike rate and you know the same sort of fastball velocity and and stuff numbers um, deserve an ERA that is close to five, right? I, I'm buying more of the FIP of three eighty one with with um, with, with Sandy and and with that I think if you believe that you'll probably be able to get get it get it get a good deal for him I, I just you know it, it is tough and, and the last few years there were so many innings and that's kind of like it's like you know it, even though his strikeout rate was just 23 percent there were so many innings um that uh you still got a, a, a gaudy strikeout total just because he pitched 222 innings with a 8k per nine that might not be the case this year, but there's still a good pitcher in there. And I think you could potentially buy a lower end SP one, not like the SP one, like he was uh, in, in some leagues last year. Yeah. I know Nick Pollock agrees. He thinks the, uh, the regression is coming in his favor as he did on the most recent write up, uh, you know, and, and, most of his faith is that the the slider will make a little comeback there, uh, but yeah, it's it's one that I think you would have no problem actually getting that deal done. It's just you know what what pitcher you want to insert there, and if if you feel confident. But we go back to that age old you know look at the ERA next to the WHIP, and that like one twenty two ERA does not, or I'm sorry, the one twenty two WHIP. Uh, does not really justify that like high fours ERA like you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the hard part, and I want to look at the, I guess the uh, volume we're getting from. Okay, so he went into the seventh tonight. Then he had he was in the sixth, the sixth, and then he pitched into the eighth, the game before that, the ninth. So you're still getting volume. So I think that was one of the arguments we liked so much about Sandy is that even with a little bit lower K percentage or like K per nine, yeah. he's going deeper into the, the games, volume. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he can, he can get you as many 
strikeouts as a guy who does whatever seven Ks in six innings because Sandy's going eight innings. Um, so yeah, I, I I do think it's a good one. Um, and I don't know. I mean, in terms of like the whiff rates, because he's not really given up more home runs necessarily than he has the past couple. Ground of years. ball rates a little bit a little bit worse. It was fifty three percent the last two years. It's down to forty five percent, but that's not horrible or anything like that. Um, he's not giving up too many more homers. Um, the Slide left on base. Slide. It's the left on base. It's sixty one point five percent left on base. Come on, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. That's you know, it, it, yeah. it's been. It was seventy eight last year, seventy two the year before that. Like, yeah, yeah, and uh, the whiff rates the are school. actually up on yeah, the better. slider and changeup. Yeah, so yep. Yep. no, I like it. I like it, and uh, yeah, that's one that I, I think you hit it right on the mark of like if you can turn an SP two or definitely an SP three plus like a utility bat or like a deeper outfielder. I think that's a good one there for Alcantara. So uh, next one, moving over to, I guess we can, we can lump the, the Mets guys here. Cause we got, we got Verlander, we got Scherzer, uh, Verlander, the, the K's are down quite a bit, 30 innings pitch, just 22 strikeouts, a 4.8 ERA, but the 110 whip to go with it. And then Scherzer, who were getting more strikeouts, he had his best outing of the season the other night, and the 354 ERA, 113 whip is better, just maybe not elite. So for the aging uh, aces here, uh, talk to me about kind of what you're you're seeing and what you think about uh, the buy low window for these guys. Yeah, I think I like both of them as buy lows. Uh, it's been weird seasons for both of them. Verlander had the shoulder injury in spring training and had the slow start. You know, had a bad start, had a good start, had a bad start, had a good start. Um, and I think his last start came in cores, so that kind of adds on to the fact that you know it, it, it just sort of mucks up the line and makes it look a lot worse. Like I think they honestly, pretty, like as someone who would want to trade for Verlander, I wouldn't hope that he dealt in, in cores just because that that would have sort of slammed the buy low window shut. Um, but it, it definitely creeped back back open. Um, with Scherzer, I'm probably a little bit more concerned about um, the injury because he kind of hinted at that it's something that he needs to manage all year with his back pain. But yep. it, it starts to look like it, it's coming around, and it, this is starting to look more and more like a, a Max Scherzer type line with the you know 113 whip, the strikeout per inning. It might not be the peak peak Max Scherzer, but um, both of these guys I think are starting to come into their own as they, they they battle through injuries. Like, they're both older guys. It's not like they can bounce back uh, like they used to after one or two starts. It, it might take them a while. Once the once it gets fully warm out, they don't have to make a trip back to Colorado or anything like that. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good opportunity to buy both of these players sort of just based on the fact that they're starting to get healthier again. And I think Verlander should come into his own and, and you'll see the case start to tick up. Yeah, no, that's well said. I think, yeah, Verlander would be, you know, maybe, maybe the preference, like you said, because, you know, I know that the injury stuff is concerning for Scherzer and just Scherzer's looked better, you know, more recently. So I think Verlander, it's like the discount's still there. Uh, and you, you don't have quite the, as much injury risk, which is crazy to say for a guy his age, but just, yeah, Scherzer, I know that's been 
kind of the the top headline lately is like be careful this could be you know a looming injury that we're going to hear about it's all about health so Verlander I think you uh you know, you look again at that same thing, a 480 ERA and a 110 whip, and like this has to get better. I guess I'm a little concerned about the strikeouts. I know he only had like two in cores, which kind of, uh, you know, is pulling down the rest of the numbers. Yeah. But I'm curious if like the swing strike rate has been there for Verlander. I don't know offhand. It ha- it, ha- it has not. It's been down a little bit. It was down a little bit last year too, which was kind of, kind of concerning. But, um, you know, it, it's probably more of a, Maybe it's even even more difficult just because he is a pitcher and he's he is older. It's more of a a trust your gut sort of buy with 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 Verlander, uh, yeah. similar to what Turner is on the hitter end. Yeah. So there's risk there, but again, I mean, you know, go going to Nick Pollock's list here. Verlander's number sixteen on the on the list, and Scherzer is number eleven. So still quite a bit of, of confidence still there. And I think there's enough pitchers performing well in some of the tiers beneath them that, you know, I, I again would think you have a pretty good shot at getting a deal like that done if you wanted to do like an arm and a bat for 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 Lander or for Scherzer. Uh, moving on to Aaron Nola. Uh, wow, it's like the curveball has come in and out throughout the season, and Nola, I feel like from from rostering him last year was similarly frustrating early on, kind of like we were talking about with Quan, and then he really just turned into a lights-out pitcher. So I think that's what everyone's hoping for. But it has looked different this year because, uh, you know, he's always had the home run issue, but I don't think we've ever seen Nola with this low of a, of a K percentage. So he's, he's just got 68, or I'm sorry, 60 strikeouts and 68 and two-thirds innings, uh, 459 ERA, a 112 whip, and while you point to that, like we just did with Verlander, and say, oh, you know, that ERA is definitely going to come down because look at the whip. But we've kind of said that for Nola for like three or four years because it's usually the the product of the home run, you know, where his, his whip stays low, but he's given up a lot of solo shots, things like that. Uh, that said, his past couple starts, he does have 17 strikeouts over 13 innings. He is still giving up some of the home runs. Uh, I think Nick likes a little bounce back of Nola. We, he just is kind of calling for some consistency. Uh, what do you see in here, Steve? It's it's part of that same narrative that, like, you know, we talked about Zach Wheeler uh, a couple weeks back, talking about Trey Turner tonight. Like, everything's going wrong at the Phillies, but are, are we thinking Nola kind of clicks in like he did last season? Yeah, I think so. I think this might be my favorite um, Bilo pitcher. Um last two starts it was 10 strikeouts seven strikeouts um yeah it wasn't a great start versus atlanta but i think he gave up two home runs to austin riley who you know that's not a hard thing to do um right um it it just looks like he's he's finding the strikeouts again um and yeah it's concerning because you know two years ago when he had that mid four ZRA, you looked at the the 29 percent strikeout rate or 30 percent strikeout rate and it was a clear buy for the for the next year it's it's not as clear this year but it looks like the strikeouts are starting to come and and he's finding those whiffs um over the last few starts so i really like uh like nola as a buy low and i think that you know that era will just continue to drop and the k rate will continue to raise like 
there's no reason why he's now a 22% strikeout pitcher. It should creep up back closer towards that 30% that we're used to uh, for Aaron Nola. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I know uh, this is one that just as we record on Tuesday night, the goalposts are going to move a little bit because on Wednesday he's pitching again uh, at the Mets. So that's one to kind of take a look at. But if it is one where, you know, maybe he still gets a, a few runs on his tab, but he – you know the strikeouts are there that's what we're looking for with with nola but um that could kind of extend the window where you can buy low and hopefully you know between now and when you guys are tuning into this he didn't have some massive breakout game where uh the window starts to shut but that's that's nola i do agree that that's another good one uh moving to the last couple here and this one's a little perplexing steve because you darvish you know it's like all of the volatility and the roller coaster that we've come to know as Darvish over the past few years seems like it's all like culminating this season where the strikeouts still look, you know, pretty good uh, over a strikeout an inning, but he's got the 461 ERA, a 120 whip. Um, he's a constant tinkerer. It seems like he's always, you know, mixing in like six different pitches and changing the usage drastically. Uh, I know the some of the Padres pitching in general with like Snell was struggling, Musgrove was struggling, but he's coming around a little bit. Uh, what do we think on you Darvish here? It, it's, it's a different class than all the other ones. Cause I don't think you're getting the stability in a way you might, it, it's yeah. kind of a weird thing to, to shop for a guy that you know will be volatile like this. But overall, I, I do think that Darvish is underperforming what you would expect for him you know, certainly drafting him as like an SP three. He's definitely underperforming, but it, it, like you said, it's just too volatile for me from start to start. Like one start, you're going to get seven innings, 12 strikeouts, two hits. The next start, it'll just be completely blown up. Like you just don't know what you're going to get. It's like the term Nick uses, like the ultimate cherry bomb. And he is extremely that this year. So it's just hard for me to, buy into that knowing that that's going to be the case just with Darvish going forward like that's just how he always has been how he seems like he he will be for the last few years at least yeah yeah I I think it's you know in like a roto league if you need some strikeouts and your ratios are in good shape this might be like a sure sure. you know a specialized target but yeah head to head head to head absolutely not not he's a hair puller man and, and it's exactly what you said but He's he's prone to crush your ratios for an entire week in, in head-to-head, which is what he did against the Yankees uh, on his last outing. So that's Darvish. Uh, moving on, I guess since we've been dropping, you know, where, where guys are in the list, uh, Nick has Darvish at 26, around names like uh, just behind Eovaldi and George Kirby, in front of names even like Hunter Brown and Freddie Peralta, but I would rather have Hunter Brown than Darvish, um, you know, maybe that next tier is where it gets a little tricky with like Bryce Miller, Mitch Keller, but yeah, I, I think it is very much team and format dependent. He, he should help a little bit more with strikeouts and it won't be as bad as like a 480 ERA, but it's going to be hit or miss like, like we talked about. So uh, last one we wanted to get to was Joe Musgrove, who, you know, everyone who, who drafted it had to wait quite a while and then, even once he came up, it was kind of exercising a lot of patience where it really wasn't, you know, he's only had 
two good starts of his seven outings, really. But the one recently against the Yankees, he pitched into the seventh. He got the win. Six strikeouts. Uh, just gave up, I think, two runs or one run. I'm sorry. Now the curveball is starting to kind of come back in and looking pretty good. So, um yeah, I think this is an interesting one with Musgrove. He's 23rd on the list right now, so ahead of Darvish that we were just talking about. But on the season, you're still looking at about a strikeout per inning, a 564 ERA, and a 145 whip. Um, so although you know the, the Musgrove manager is going to see that he just had his first or second good outing of the whole year, they might be thinking sell high as well. And I guess it's on us, Steve, to kind of assess what we think about Musgrove the rest of the way. Yeah, I think I would be buying it. Everything else under the hood looks sort of similar to what we've expected from Joe Musgrove in the past, which is like a really good SP2, you know, borderline. There's there's months where he pitches like an SP1 and shows those flashes and highs, higher strikeout rates. So um, the whiffs are there. The velos coming back. It's actually the best velo that he's had since like 2018 um so yeah i i think that if there is anyone that's trying to get off after that one good start you know that there's a lot of time with these pitchers like all right as soon as he has a good start i just can't deal with this anymore i'll i'll look to trade him that might be the case with with musgrove and i think i would be interested in buying like you know, uh, a 69% left on base percentage, a 16.2% homer to fly ball. Yeah, he's given up homers in the past, but that's still pretty high for him. Um, and 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 the whiffs are in line. Like you know, the curveball for him, it's it's got to be a field pitch. And having that delayed start to the season, um, you know, having only 30 innings under his belt so far, uh, he could be starting to round into form uh, coming back from those injuries that he had to start the year. So. I like Musgrove. I think he's uh, probably other than Nola, like my f- one of my more f- uh, favorite ones on on the list of, of buy lows, at least in terms of pitchers. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, looking at the list, uh, Sandy is interesting though. The more we spent time with him, just because I feel like yeah, yeah, the, the frustration is just so high with that one, and, and there's I think- definitely positive regression due for him. Yeah, with, with some of those underlying the left on base rate. The whiff rates for, you know, the slider, the change. Like, I think Sandy's a good one, too. But, yeah, that list overall, again, was was Sandy Alcantara, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Aaron Nola, Hugh Darvish, and Musgrove. And, yeah, I think uh, I think Nola, Sandy, and Musgrove are kind of in a cluster of the favorite three. And then yeah. Darvish yeah. probably last because it's such a, you know, a, a strange fit and, and so volatile. But then... Somewhere in the middle there is is Verlander and Scherzer because they come with some risk, but yeah, they probably riskier exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Um, and then again, recapping the the hitters, we went Trey Turner, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Rafael Devers, and Stephen Kwan. And I think we we liked all of those, but um, so, some good points there. I think Kwan, we're not worried about Vlad if if you can get a discount there with the the cold May uh, should be. Kind of a can't miss one. Devers, a little bit of that question. I think it's a valid question you brought up with the calf strain and what we saw last year. But yeah, overall, he's probably going to be something pretty close to Devers. And then Trey Turner is kind of that trust the back of the baseball card like we talked about. But 
uh, you know, we're not too far removed from being in that same spot with Juan Soto. And now it's like, oh, Soto's going to Soto. And it's, you know, could be the exact same thing with Trey Turner. So uh, great show, man. I mean, closing thoughts on uh, let's make a deal part three here. Yeah, sometimes with those superstars, man, like as soon as like people were starting to say like, you know, we've seen this for a calendar year now. So it'll like, is this just a new player? Then like all of a sudden he has a May where he, you know, OPS is 1200 again, you know? Um, so yep, that was me. I was the guy. Guys just, yeah. It, it, but it, it, we all were. So it's it just funny how, how those things sort of work out with those, those superstar players. So you never know. Here's the, here's the hoping as uh, someone who rosters Trey Turner in, in, in a few places. So, um, yeah, I think it, 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 there's a lot of good names and with sort of the, the tips and tricks to trading, uh, you should be able to snag a few. And I think that you could definitely improve your team if you're, you know, on the end sort of buying some of these buy low names. Absolutely. Yeah. So go out, make some offers, guys. It's our sincere hope that, you know, that you politely win the trade and uh, can make some lasting relationships along the way. <laughs> That's yeah. really the, the win-win-win here is, uh, you know, both managers improve a little bit, but ultimately you're uh, you're buying low on guys that, that should pan out. So. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. It's episode 102, and we will be back next Thursday. But until then, thanks for talking baseball with us. Happy trading, guys. Thanks for listening.